come in and take your seat. We're ready to get started. If you're going to be a student at Cares Bible College, you've got to learn to be in your seat when the bell rings. We're using time that could be used to be listening to the Word of God and having our lives changed. Praise God. Man, isn't Lawson exciting? Amen. He's a blessing. Lawson and Barbara have been a super blessing, and their children are a tremendous testimony about their home and about what goes on in their home. They really glorify God. It's awesome. Praise the Lord. Well, we got people coming in slowly. But you know what? We're going to go ahead and get started. I know Paul's got a lot to say. Paul Milligan has been a tremendous blessing to me. Actually, uh, I don't even know how many years ago. Maybe he will tell you. But long, 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 long time ago, he listened to me on the radio and helped. that helped him to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He was a Baptist boy. And so I sowed into his life, and now I'm reaping big time from that seed that was sown. Paul has been on my board for many years, and he's just a tremendous blessing. And I think it's been two years now that he's been here with the uh, School of Business in our third-year program. And, and we could spend all day talking about it, but the third-year business program is awesome. I think it's the best business school in the world. Matter of fact, Peter Daniels, who uh, Lawson talked about, he was here, and Peter Daniels was very impressed, and he said he's seen a lot of business schools, and most of them are taught by people that have never done anything. And Paul has, I forget, but I think it's 12 businesses, thousands or over 1,000 employees, and God is just using him. Plus, he's pastor to church. He's uh, a very spiritual business guy, and you're going to be blessed by him. So this is Paul Milligan. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Are you glad you're here? Yes. This is good. Well, we got the rookies out of the way. It gets better from here. <laughs> is Andrew laughing or coming toward me? <laughs> oh, my. Lawson keeps struggling at it. He might be a preacher someday. Well, listen, I'm excited about this. Is this better than a poke now with a sharp stick? This is good. I, I'll tell you, uh, I, you know, and so they make me cut mine short so y'all can go to lunch. How, that is not right. <laughs> anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do this in the time I've got. But, uh, you know, let, let me take a stab before I start this morning, get serious, and maybe who might be in the crowd. Because I know I was just like you one day. I mean, <clears throat> here's what I'm talking about. A lot of us sort of live our lives in Plainsville, kind of a mediocre life, going along to get along, don't take many risks, you know, and we think that's spiritual. <laughs> Y'all are getting it. And then, and then what, but what happens is, all along that journey, God's always urging us, speaking to us, trying to move us off center, trying, trying to whisper in our ear and say, do you trust me? Do you understand how magnificent my plan is for your life? And you're staying in Plainsville leading your mediocre life. Now guys, I, I'm, I'm here to tell you that until I heard that and started taking real, what the world calls risk. With God, it's not a risk at all. 
It's, it's a sure thing. And until I did that, you, you'd have never heard of me. I'd have lived a mediocre life, good Baptist boy. I mean, getting baptized in the Holy Ghost almost ruined all my relationships. <laughs> this is the truth. Andrew taught that particular day. I didn't know how to receive. He didn't. I was mad at him. He didn't finish it and tell me how to receive the Holy Ghost. I hadn't heard that yet. I went home that night, got out on my knees in my living room, said, God, whatever he's talking about, that's what I want. <laughs> and the reason I love to listen to Andrew because he used to be a Baptist boy. I felt safe with that. But, you know, you know, here's what happened. I went to bed that night. My wife and I went to bed at 2 o'clock in the morning. This as God is my, asked my wife. I woke up from a dream, and I was dreaming that I was being filled with the Holy Ghost and woke up speaking in tongues. Now, I know you're supposed to have hands laid on you. I just had it happen to me in a dream. But you know what? It scared my wife to death. She jumped out of the bed, went to the corner of the room, plastered herself in the corner. She said, what in the world is wrong with you? So I had to explain to her. I said, this nutty guy on the radio. But anyway, here I am. Praise God. You know what, guys? It, we just, if we're going to do something for God, we've got to move. We've got to take action. I don't care how great your dreams are. I don't care what your vision is. I mean, I care, but I don't care. Because you know why? I don't want to hear any more about it. Take action. Do something. Even if it's my dad used to tell me, son, do something. Even if it's wrong, we'll correct it on the fly. Get in it. Move. Shake. Take some risks. Be something you've never been before. Just make sure you don't violate the word doing it. Listen, guys, I honestly, I'm so excited about these third-year schools. I'm telling you, we're going to transform the world. If God can do this through these guys you're listening to and looking at, he can do it through anybody. See, if you knew me as well as I did, you wouldn't be near as impressed. You wouldn't. If you knew Andrew as well as Jamie did, you wouldn't be impressed at all. God chooses knuckleheads like us to change the world. (laughs) Guys, it's not about education. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care what language you speak. I don't care about any of that. You are a child of the living God filled with the Holy Ghost. You can do anything God says you can do. But if you don't move, you just can sit in your mediocre chair, leading your mediocre life, talking to your mediocre wife. And get, just let it happen. You'll get to go. We'll see you in heaven, right? But you won't be rejoicing with us. Not in the same way. Guys, we're going to be held accountable for mediocre lives. So here's, here's, here's what, you know, there, there are many third-year schools, but the business school is the best one. <laughs> Half of you will come to the business school. Um. Y'all know I'm kidding a little bit. Now, here's, here's what I want to do today. I want to give you a taste of what you're going to get in the business school. I'll, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version of this because what I'm about to teach sometimes takes me three days. But when you come to business school, you're going to get all every core principle and value that I've learned in 35 years to make a business successful. We built 
Corporations now that have sales of about 130 million, 12, almost 1,200 employees. I mean, I made a lot of mistakes, but we got a few things right. And in that process, what I learned was that what it really, you know, Andrew and, and, and Lawson both talked about this. Have you ever heard Andrew's teaching on hope yeah. being imagination? I don't care what else you... Listen, you can come to business school. Do you understand that the technical part of the business school, the information, the procedures, the, the plans, the recommendations, the ideas, all, you can get that on the internet if you know how to get it. You know what you're going to get at business school? We're going to build your imagination to the point where you can't, you can't keep from taking action. We're going to get your hope so big, you, if you don't move, you'll explode. Guys... Hope is a substance, I mean, faith is a substance of things hoped for. It's a substance of things hoped for. Hope is the, is the word that we need to focus on right there. Hope is imagination. If you can imagine it big enough, you can do it. That's why you need to come to Bible school because you'll get filled up here. The, the first two years, you'll just soak and get grounded in the word. And then when you come to Bible school, we focus down and we get serious. We get, we get right down to the specialties. Now, guys, how many of you are tired of going to church or wherever you're hearing it of being told what to do and, and, and not, never being told how to do it? That's wearisome. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to get a bottle put in your mouth and led around by the hand. What it means is this. We're going to give you everything you need to be successful for God. Everything. If you leave here, you'll have no excuse. Because God has shown us what it takes to be successful. Now, we teach a lot of things in the business school. I think I have some of the best instructors that, anywhere. I have a CEO of former Fortune 500 companies, multi, multi-billion dollar companies who comes in and does CEO training. We're my business students. That was worth the time, wasn't it? I have my own executives who are experts, CPAs, Lawyers, marketing people, information technologies. I've got some of the smartest media marketing people I know of anywhere. They come here and teach in the school. It's phenomenal. You couldn't pay for this. There's no way. Just thank God that Andrew keeps the tuition where he does because there's no way you can pay for it. It's that, I'm not bragging on us. I'm just telling you it's that valuable. Go spend $120,000 at the university. and, and not, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying it's not good. So, let me give you a Cliff Notes version of just one thing that you're going to hear at business school. I want to give you a little flavor of it. Guys, put my first slide up if you would. Now, you're going to learn a lot about marketing. There's a lot of important things about marketing. I want to talk to you about four simple processes that are necessary to be successful in any business or ministry. This applies to churches, it applies to ministry, and it applies to businesses. Listen, you're way too late to tell me a business is not a ministry. You can go into my corporate offices and you can't tell the difference whether you're in church or not. You'll hear intercessors praying early in the morning, calling in the business from the north, the south, the east, and the west, blessing our employees, blessing our clients. You come into our orientation, you'll hear the word of God being taught. I go in teaching the company several times a year. 
We have an education center in, De- in Decatur where Solaris is headquartered. That's a one huge building. It's nothing but an education center. It's an auditorium, and we bring our employees in there. We not only do training in the business, but we teach the word. We have had Hindus saved. Listen, we like to hire lost people. They mess around the creek bank, they fall in. <laughs> we hired a, 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 a Buddhist girl from Thailand. Really sharp young lady, 33 years old. <clears throat> she starts coming. We don't make people come to the, the teaching. But look, I, I, here's what I tell them. Look, I'm paying you. Come in here and sit down and listen. They get paid while they listen. She came in the back of the auditorium first day. This, every day I would teach, she'd get closer to the front. She's afraid somebody's going to see her, I guess. But she got, last day she's sitting right there, and I'm teaching on healing. You say, you can't do that in your company. Well, you're too late. It's already been done. And, and I've been healed. I don't have time to tell that story. I just got healed big time. Well, she, she's sitting right there. And when the, when the teaching was over, she comes up to me and she says, would, would Jesus heal me? I'm not a Christian. I said, he especially will heal you. You know what I did? I lost that. I knew, I've been wondering, whose lens is this down here? <laughs> Dumber than a bag of hammers. Anyway, she says to me, she says, well, well Jesus, I said, sure he will. Especially he, he, he loves you. And she, I said, there's something wrong? Are you sick? And she said, well, my husband and I have been trying to have a baby for 13 years. Boy, you come, that's my specialty. (laughs) She kind of looked at me. I realized it didn't sound all that good after I said it. But I told her, I said, you come with me. I said, let me tell you something. God loves to heal women who can't have babies. I said, you you come with me. We went back. I got my son and one of the other vice presidents. We laid hands on her and prayed for her. Folks, 10 months later, she gave birth to a baby girl. 10 months. Well, you can't have any more fun than that. I don't care what you do. But, there, but so we, when we talk about business, I'm, see, I don't separate this from ministry. I love what Andrew and Tracy were talking about, about retirement. I, I can't ever figure out what it is. I've been enjoying what I've been doing for a long time. I'm having more fun than a human being ought to have. But there are four processes, guys, that if you will apply these in your business or ministry, I guarantee you it'll transform it. It will absolutely transform. Put the first one up there, guys. Here's, here's what you need to do in your business or ministry or in your church. You need to quantify it. You say, what? You need to boil it down to numbers. If you could see the numbers that we use in this ministry, you'd be overwhelmed. At the board meetings, we get a notebook this thick, and it's numbers, 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 numbers. numbers. But you say, well, that's kind of boring. Oh, no, it's not. If you think it's boring, come here. I do the financial health report for the ministry at the board meeting, and it, it's exciting. Did you know that last year this ministry's revenue grew 25%? You know what everybody else's ministry's revenues grew? Negative 1.5. We just came out of the worst recession since the Great Depression. My two largest companies, <clears throat> which are umbrella corporations, our record years were 09, then 010, then 011, then 12. Amen. In our history, we've been in business for 25 years. 
This ministry is doing better than it's ever done. Lawson's church is doing better than it's ever done financially, wherever Lawson went. Guys, that don't happen by accident. But can I tell you, you say, well, you know what? I, I can't start a business. The economy's bad. We're not subject to this economy. God has an economy that if you learn to operate in it, you don't care what the other one's doing. Let them have their recession. Just don't participate. And guys, that's what we're doing. We're believing God and not getting our eyes on. Listen, turn off the talking heads. Have a, discuss, have a long conversation with your wife or something. Don't, don't watch that garbage because there's either one or two things building your hope and building your faith. The word of God and what God says is true are the goofy media, nuttier than a bunch of runover ducks. Now, I don't mean to be crude or anything, but rude. So what do I mean by quantify? Okay, let me give you an example. Barnum did a study in churches in the United States about three or four years ago. Here's what he found out. He found out that churches in this nation retain about 15% of the people that come through their door. I don't think that's good. But let me, let me, let me ask you this question. Do you think pastors who don't know they're only keeping 15% can then take action to come up with a strategy to keep the other 85? No. Guys, the, the, the way that you develop knowledge and information is by quantifying your business or ministry. And then what happens is then you have a basis. We call them benchmarks to work from. Look, you can't increase your sales if you don't know what your sales are. How do you know you increase your sales? You can't get more people into the, you, you can't minister the gospel to more people if you don't know how many people you've got exposure to, how many of them you're keeping to disciple. So quantification is simply understanding your business or ministry from a number standpoint. Now, let me, let me give you an example of something that happened. Um, several years ago, a study was done on a <clears throat> corporation. How many of you ladies have ever been in the limited? The limited. Largest specialty retailer in the world. Um, Here's what happened. They did a study, and they were going to do something. Uh, they were going to come up with new strategies to increase their sales. Now, once they did to do this properly, here's what they did. They had to quantify what was going on in their, in their stores. So here's what they did. They found out how many people came into their stores every day. They found out how much per person they spent. They found out what times. They, here's something interesting. They, they looked at what time of the day people came in. They, you know what times you know when people came in? At lunch. Why do people come in the store at lunch? Do you know when they were sending their own employees to lunch? At lunch. Don't work. So see what quantification does is it gives you a clear picture so you can make the right changes to be successful. You do it in a church, you do it in a ministry, you do it in a business. If you don't, you'll, it'll be mediocre and you'll let the rough end drag. That's the way it'll be. Now, go to my next one, guys. Once you quantify your business or ministry, trust me, I'm doing the cliff notes here. Once you quantify your business or ministry, you then have to innovate. What's innovation? It's simply changing the methods of the ways you're doing business or ministry, which produces a desired result. In our companies, we have innovation teams. We pick people. There, there's no rank. We pick people from each department. We put them into a team of seven or eight people, and we give them basically a direction or agenda, something like this. My son, I'll tell you this story. My son was facilitating one of these meetings. He's the president of Solaris. And he was in this meeting with the innovation team. And he said, 
Here's our agenda, guys. Uh, we're working on branding Solaris in our communities. We want an idea that will help brand. You know what branding is? Yes. Let me tell you, I'll, I'll give you an example of branding. How many of you know what Coke is? Yes. How many of you call Dr. Pepper a Coke even though it's not a Coke? <laughs> That's branding. Everything when I grew up was a Coke. Do you it was a Coke or not? It was a Coke. <laughs> branding is, so that is, is being bonded to the community in such a way that you're their first thought when they need you. When they need a service or, or a product like you sell, you're, you're their first thought. Now, he said that, and they went through some time. I actually just came into the room and wasn't, I just sat against the wall. I wasn't part of the meeting. It was, good, it was actually good. So what happened was one of our little ladies, she's a grandmother. She was a receptionist in the company. And she's kind of uh, timid and shy. And she kind of raised her hand. She said, I've got an idea. She said, uh, what if we have a seniors pageant in the community and Solaris sponsors it? <clears throat> now, I'm like, what? A seniors pageant? And she starts explaining it like a beauty pageant where they come in and sing and dance or whatever their talent is. And all of a sudden, I get this image of swimsuit competition <laughs> in my brain. I'm going, please, God. Please, and, and don't let Andy, I thought surely Andy would just shut it down. He embraced it. I'm like, oh, dear God, I, I, I have got to go do something else. I, I don't know. Where am I missing it? They just all fell in love with the idea. So we're going to put Grandma on the stage and let her sing and dance and do her poetry or whatever, reading, whatever she wants to do, and we're going to invite all of her family, friends, dogs, cats, whoever wants to come to watch this, Right? Let me just tell you what's going on today. That was more than, I, I, I did say five years. It's actually been longer than that. Now, I, asked, I talked to Andy. He said it was seven years ago. Here's what's happened. There are now media events. The television and radio stations in the cities we're in show up. There's fire marshals have to turn people away. We have to, we have to now rent civic, and con, civic auditoriums and convention centers to have them. We have 18 leaders that haul the junk just to get to the, to the pageant. We have local celebrities that will ask us to host them. Now, do you think it branded us? One idea out of an innovation team. So, let me tell you what doesn't work, guys. It doesn't work in church, ministry, or business, and that's command and control. You do it in a team environment. <clears throat> you get the issues and problems out on the table. And as a leader, you obtain ideas, plans, and recommendations to get the, the wisdom from God to make the next move. Amen. That's the way you run a large organization. Amen. You want to build a multi-million dollar company? You do it in team. You don't do it by being the general. And so innovation is simply changing. So here's what the limited did. I said, okay. Uh, let, let, me, let me demonstrate something. Barry, help me just a minute. Uh, Barry's a customer. He just walked into my store, right? And so what do you hear every time you walk into a store anywhere in the world? What's your response? No, thanks. I'm just looking. Can I submit to you that the marketing phrase, may I help you please, doesn't work? So why does everybody keep doing it? So you know what they did? They said, now, Barry, you're my, you're my customer. And so uh, Barry walks in, and I shake his hand, and I say, uh, Barry, have you ever been in our store before? No. That's great, because today we have a 15% discount on everything in the store to first-time customers. Now, this time, say yes. 
Yeah. Barry, you ever been in a store before? Happy to be here. That's great. Today, we're having a 15% discount on all of our repeat customers who are loyal. You see what I did? Instead of telling him, instead of him telling me, uh, no thanks, I'm just looking, and we get, and we get separated, there's no relationship. Yeah. If you're going to sell something, you've got to have a relationship. So then I, I ask him a question that locks us into a relationship. And then I'll take him off and show him products or merchandise or whatever else is in the store. Now, that marketing phrase works. So here's what the limited did. They told their employees, they said, for six weeks, we want you to use the old marketing phrase, may I help you please? They did it for six weeks. They quantified the result. They got X number of sales. They said, now for the next six weeks, we want you to use this new marketing phrase that I just did with Barry. Have you ever been in our store before? And so they did that for six weeks. They quantified the result. They got a 16% increase in sales by changing the words that come out of their mouth. That's innovation. How much did that innovation cost me? That's a good innovation. Next, they did something else. They said, uh, let's, let, how many of you understand the importance of colors in marketing? It's a whole new science now. It's, I don't get half of it, but it's amazing. I'm colorblind anyway. I don't care. <laughs> but it matters. It matters. That's why you see uh, fast food restaurants with all the colorful stuff going on. Signs and buildings and all this kind of thing. Well, they said, let's do something. Um, they, that six-week period of time, and they allowed their, uh, their sales reps to just wear the clothes they'd always worn. They quantified the result. For the following six weeks, they had them change into bright colors. The guys wore power ties and nice bright shirts and blazers, and the ladies wore really colorful, you know, bold pantsuits or whatever they were, whatever it was. And so they did this for six weeks, and they quantified the result. And here's what they got. They got another 10% increase in sales changing the color of clothes they were wearing. I don't get it. Don't look at me like, how does that work? I don't know. So they didn't want, they, didn't, they, they, they said, well, you know what, this innovation thing's working. And I don't have time to go through some of the rest of them. When they finished this process over a, it was, it was like a nine-month period of time, they had increased their sales 40%. Every one of their innovations cost them nothing. Nothing. And, they, and it was a tremendous, so they quantified, they innovated. And then number three, put it up here, guys. I wish I had time to do this right, guys. Come to, Bible, come to business school, you'll get the rest of it. They standardize. Here's what standardization is. It's the elimination of discretion or choice. How many of you know why McDonald's Corporation uh, has become the, one of the greatest corporations that the world has ever seen? It's run by snotty-nosed teenagers. You know why that is? Because of standardization. What, what, what Ray Kroc did was he quantified his business, he innovated and brought about processes in his business that were time-tested and worked, and then he hired people and told them, you have no choice or discretion where this is concerned. If the French fries stay under the heat lamp for more than eight minutes, throw them away. No choice or discretion. You say, well... That's, that's terrible. That's, that's, uh, that takes all my creativity away. I had a young lady who went to work for us several years ago in the marketing department, and I was teaching some of these things, and she's sitting right back here, and she, and she, she was a real intelligent young woman, and she raised her hand, and she said, well, Mr. Milligan, I think you're taking, you know, I, I, I want to work for you. I want, I want you to be able to get the benefit of my creativity. She said, when I go out to the clients, 
I want to be able to kind of, you know, be able to have some flexibility to do what I want to do. I said, look, I want your creativity. I don't want you experimenting on my clients. I want you to give it to us in here. We'll test it here. If it works, if, it, if it's a good innovation, we'll standardize it into our operation. That's the way you do it, guys. You, you quantify it, you innovate, and then you standardize. What is standardization? You, you enter it into your operations, and you, you don't allow any discretion or choice with your employees whether they behave a certain way, whether they operate along, along that standardization. We call that standard practice and procedures, and that's the way we run our corporation. Now, once you have quantified, and then you innovate, and then you standardize, there's a fourth one, and it's called added value. Added value is the introduction of anything to the marketplace which is pleasant and unexpected. I'll give you an example of, uh, uh, you like this story, I'll give you an example of uh, added value. I was doing a conference for a, uh, a man in, Ke- in Kenya, up in uh, Nakuru, Kenya. And um, he's, he's kind of, he's on television over there all the time, so he's really well known. He's got a church of about 12,000 people in Nakuru. And uh, I went to do a pastor's conference. There were 6,000 pastors and their wives. So I show up at the airport in British Airways for the second time in a year, lost my luggage. So it's a four-hour ride across the worst roads you have, can imagine. I mean, by the time you better have three kidneys because you're going to lose a couple of them on the way up there. <laughs> so we get there, and so I'm telling Mark on the way up there. I said, you know, I don't, you know, I'm in my jeans. I've been flying. You know how it is. You fly overseas, and uh, I said I'm going to have to get to a store and see if I can find some clothes. So he, he says, I know where to take you. He takes me downtown Nakuru to this little bitty tailor shop hole in the wall. And this guy owns this little tailor shop. His name is Ashok, Ashok the tailor. So I walk into this place. And so Ashok starts measuring me and doing all these things. Well, here's the problem. We were crunched for time. I was supposed to be standing up teaching at a certain time at the church. And I could could tell this wasn't going to work. I'm just going to have to teach in my jeans and my wrinkled shirt that I've been laying on all night. And so uh, we went ahead and did it, bought the clothes, and then we had to, listen, if you've ever been in the third world, you know, 45 minutes through a sea of humanity in a car downtown and back out to the edge of town where the church was at, and it was taking us 45 minutes, and I knew we weren't, it wasn't going to happen. So I just said, well, God, you just have to let them see whatever they need to see. So I get back to the church. We have a meeting about the conference. I go back to the hotel. I walked in. Now, this is, he had to alter these clothes. I opened my hotel room. Here's all my clothes laid out on the bed, pressed, clean, everything. That's added value. See, I wasn't expecting that, but it sure was nice. Not only did I have to try to get downtown to get those clothes or send somebody after them, they were there, nice, pressed, and, and all this. And I'm not going to, I ain't telling, no, I ain't telling the rest of the story, Ashley. No, you're looking at me like that. You come to the business school and you'll hear the other end of that story. And I'm telling you, it's funny, don't it? My son tells a story, and I, it's embarrassing for me, but it's so funny you can't help but laugh. Come on, Come on. All right, but you've got to love me after I'm finished. I put on these pants and this nice shirt. I'm standing, the largest platform you've ever seen in the world. I'm standing on this platform, preaching my heart out. (laughs) 
And I, and I noticed, I was in such a hurry, I noticed Ashok kind of missed the waist size. And they were about that much too big. Guys, this is the honest truth. I asked my, I had, listen, I had seven of my executives, two of my doctors, my son, the whole bunch there with me, all right here on the front row. And I'm, I mean, I'm kicking it and shaking it. And, you know, I get over there in Africa. I don't know if something happens to me. My, maybe that's where I'm from. I don't know what it is. But I get, I get over, and, and I'm, I get right down here like this. This is huge steps up here like this. I get right here at the bottom steps, and my pants go. Whoosh. That's the truth. You never seen any boy, anybody grab clothes so quick in all of your life. I have. Ne- that's the worst thing that's ever happened to me in my f- almost sixty years of life ministry. And and but here's what's great: the crowd just goes <laughs> nothing, just froze right where they were. All eight of my guys fall out in the floor and start laughing. My son is literally rolling across the floor. So well, watch this. As I looked in and I couldn't help it anymore. I just bust out laughing. And in the whole, there's 12,000 people in the auditorium. Ah, they start laughing. Oh, dear Lord. Now you want to match embarrassing stories or what? In front of 12,000 people? I couldn't. The only thing that saved me, guys, was I, that, that shirt was long tail. Thank God it covered, it, covered, it covered me. Oh, Lord. Uh, if you want to change your church, your ministry, your business, you quantify, you innovate, you standardize, and you add value, and then you come and tell me six months later what happened. And I'll give you one more piece of the puzzle. <clears throat> If your innovations, if your, um, the things that you standardize into your operation, if they bless and serve people, you've just hit the magic button. If they love and serve and bless people. My guys know when they bring ideas to the business planning process in our companies every November, if they don't bless and serve and love people, I don't want to hear about them. don't, Don't even bring it. Don't waste our time. Because that's what it's all about. I don't care whether you're in business ministry or whatever, what you're doing. It's got to bless people to be successful, truly successful. So how many of you uh, learned anything about marketing today? Well, you come to the, the business school and you're going to get about three weeks of some of the most intensive marketing training that you've ever seen. We're going to teach you how to... Uh, Use uh, social media marketing and some of these newer techniques that are really changing the world of marketing today. Just, just transformational stuff. Um, you're going to learn about uh, finances. One of the things that Andrew allows me to do is use the actual numbers from the ministry, AWMI, to teach you financial ratios and benchmarks. I'm going to show you how. How do, we, how do we keep our arms around and manage such a large organization as AWMI? All the millions of financial transactions. How does Andrew keep his arms around? How does he, how does he deal with that? Well, he's got some really good people. 
He's got David Hardesty. He's got some other people that, that are just brilliant at managing these things. But every year at the board meeting, I go in and I give Andrew and the board basically a report on the financial health of the ministry. You say, how can you get excited about that? We can get excited about anything. It's, it, it, this year it was just phenomenal. Why? Because God continues to bless us beyond anything that's even reasonable. And so we have ways. I, we, we will teach you how to, you know, a lot of people, guys, go into business, they go into ministry, they start a church, and they never have peace about their finances because they don't understand them. They don't know how to manage from the numbers. They don't know what they mean. They just, you know, it's, I call it the hope theory. It's actually the wish theory. You just kind of hope everything comes out all right. I can assure you it won't. It takes stewardship Amen. to make it work. You know, I came here in 1996 when Andrew was not doing all that well financially. And we, made, and we did some things and made some changes, and Jamie was really involved in a lot of that in those days. And we rebuilt the accounting department, and we rebuilt the inventory system and the way it operates and the way it works. But you know what? All that's well and good. But you know that if Andrew hadn't made the decisions that he made at that time as, to, as a steward to put things in order, you wouldn't be sitting here. I don't think you would. You'd never seen him on television. Because what the decisions he made put things on. Let me say it another way, guys. Your anointing is not enough. I don't know if anybody's more anointed than Andrew Wallop. I just don't. I mean, I, I know I'm biased, but, you know, I don't even want to, you know, teaching the word, there is no greater anointing. I don't know where it's at, but it's not enough. You've got, we've got to take stewardship seriously. We've got to, we've got to be accountable to God for managing the finances of the organization. Listen, I'll tell you what God won't do. He won't give you any more people to abuse. He won't give you more assets to destroy or waste. He won't give you more money to blow. And that's just a good father. Right? I mean, that's just a good father. You know, I've I got to tell you all this story just in a few minutes i got left. I was preaching in uh, North Carolina one time, and uh, Tracy will help me do this. I was doing this as an illustration, <clears throat> and uh, usually what I do is I try to find a young, uh, young woman or a young man that's about the age of my children, so this kind of works, you know, the illustration needs to work, and I got out off the platform, and I had this $20 bill in my hand, and, I, and so I looked, and everybody on the front row was as old as I was, I'm like, that don't work, so there was this black lady sitting right here, she looked like she was probably 40 or 45 years old. And the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, do the illustration with her. I said, well, God, that don't work on several levels. <laughs> but I've learned, you just do what God said. So I walked over to this lady, and uh, I gave her this $20. And, here, and here's, what, here's what I said. I said, she's, Tracy's my daughter, okay? okay? I'm going to adopt her for just a few minutes. Now, as her father, I love her, and I'm interested in her well-being, and I want her to be successful, and I want her to be blessed. Is that the way you are about your children? Well, I got news for you. That's the way God is about us. Right? So I give this $20 to Tracy, and I say, I just want to bless you, dear. Just go. You know what? You do what God tells you to do with that money. Now, here's what I've already taught Tracy. She needs to give. She needs to save. She needs to do certain things to be a good steward. But here's what Tracy does. She goes out on Saturday, and through her carelessness, she loses the $20. So she comes back to me the next day and she says, Dad, can I have another $20? I lost that $20. I go, How'd you lose that $20? So I was just kind of careless. I thought I had it in my purse and now we went to the mall and I, you know, I don't know where it's at. I lost it. 
Oh, sure. Yeah, that's no problem. Here, here's another $20. Don't even think about it. <laughs> because if I'm a good father, I'm not going to give her more money to lose. And I'm telling you guys as Christians, this is the way we do God every day. We're not good stewards. We don't obey God of what he's taught us to do with our money. And yet we come back to the, to the altar time after time. God, please bless me. Please bless me. And so I did this illustration with this lady. And I, and I didn't get that far. I just handed her. Actually, it was a $100 bill, I think. That, that. I handed it to her. And she goes off like a rocket. I mean, she stands and starts screaming. I mean, the Holy Ghost all over. She's waiting. And I thought, well, there goes my illustration. I'll just stand here and wait and see what happens. I just kind of backed off a little. She did that. And finally, I said, you're going to have to let all the rest of us in on this. What in the world is going on? She had a son who was involved in the gangs in the inner city, was a drug dealer. She said, all he cares about is money. And she told him the night before, she said, you need to learn about money God's way. She said, there's this wealthy businessman at church. You've never heard teaching like this. Life. Come with me to church and hear this guy. And she said, he looked at her, big guy. I ended up meeting him, big, tall guy, strapping young man. And he said, Mom, I'll tell you what. He said, uh, you go ask that man for $100. If he gives it to you, I'll come to church. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you like the Holy Ghost? Well, he, you know what? She held him to his word. And he came to church that next night, and I went back. We sat down at a table, and I spent an hour with him. Today, he is the youth pastor in that church. That's the power. Listen, I told him, I said, young man, you know exactly where you're supposed to be. I'm not going to say anything. You've been raised in the church. Your mom has taught you the word of God. I'm going to tell you what, it's time for you to do something. I'm going to tell you where you're going to end up. Within two years, you're going to be dead or in prison, and you know it. Now, is that, is that, is that you, you want your epitaph to be, or do you want to serve God? He just, big, man, he just starts crying. He's weeping. That's the power of the Holy Ghost, guys. And you can take him into your business. Amen. You can take him into your ministry. You can have him in your church. Isn't that a novel idea? The Holy Ghost in your church. <laughs> it works really well. All right. I got two. I just got a short period of time left, and I want to take that couple of minutes to say this, guys. I I know I'm biased. I don't apologize for it. You can't do anything better for your life than to come to this school. Amen. There's no way it's a mistake. You can come in and say, well, "I'm not sure God wants me to come here." Well, maybe the devil's telling you to come here. <laughs> I don't know, but you you can't do any better than this. The first two years are just. Can you imagine, you've heard Andrew enough, can you imagine soaking in that kind of teaching for two years? It'll make you stronger than 100 acres of garlic. <laughs> it's good. Listen, it, his teaching transformed my life. After I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I obsessed on studying the Word and hearing guys like Andrew. My wife, she finally told me, she said, she said I, you know, I don't even think I exist anymore. I, I studied the word to the detriment of my own family. I, that's not good, but that's what I did. And I'm just telling you, the word will transform everything about you. But if you don't allow yourself, 
If you don't allow your mind to be renewed and your spirit to be filled up with the word of God so that your hope is so strong, nothing can keep you from taking action. Because you can have the most wonderful business plan in the world. You can have the most wonderful church planning idea in the world. You can have the greatest idea for a new ministry that the world has never seen. But if you don't take action, you know what a dream is? Your dream is nothing but a fantasy. You want to turn your dream into reality, you take action. And let me tell you where your first step is, right here at CBC. And we're going to be here waiting on you. Praise God. I love you.